Welcome to the Rambling Ranger podcast, episode 10. My name is Luke Taylor, as always, and I'm joined again um, by our previous guest, Tony Lamont. How you doing, Tony? I'm all right, thanks. I'm glad to be back. It's good to be back on the podcast. Indeed. We are episode three, I think, was the, the last time I properly spoke to you anyway. And um, in this episode, it's kind of a finale to the 10 parts I envisioned when I, I suppose I started off on this podcasting journey. And um, I thought it'd be really nice to bring back our previous guest to kind of have a catch up um, for you to ask me some questions. And uh, yeah, this was kind of mainly going to be focused on a listener Q&A as well. So a chance for anyone listening to submit their questions, which we'll be, we'll be answering later on. Um, so yeah, what have, I know you've been quite busy and we, we've talked um, beforehand about some of the projects that you're, since last time. So um, yeah, do you want to get into that? Because I know you've, even as of yesterday, been involved and quite busy with that. Uh, well, yeah, I've just I've been attending different things, and uh, it was really good. Yesterday, I was I tuned into a webinar uh, by David Hetherington uh, with Scotland the Big Picture. The, the organisation hosted a webinar on the reintroduction of links in Scotland, which was amazing. Like, it was really mind blowing to find out all the information about links and how it would re- interact within our ecosystems and how. If it's possible, like to reintroduce them in our landscapes, and uh, yeah, it was very clued up in the subject and opened my eyes about it all, and just makes me want to have links in Scotland again. Yeah, so you've you are now involved with um, Scotland, the big outdoor picture, as such as one of their. Uh, it's like social media right now is predominantly what you're doing, but young writers. Um, where you're going to be sharing your story and sharing a lot of their stuff. So, um, yeah. So, Scotland, the big picture is a rewilding organisation, basing uh, their uh, their main cause is to increase the amount of um, ecosystems, like the species richness and the different types of habitats in Scotland, and they do it through different projects, like reintroduction projects, as well as habitat projects, and working with different key organisations in Scotland. Um, and through their Young Rewilders project as well where they've given a platform to the likes of me and other um, young people who are invested in our nature and uh, want to improve the the landscape for everyone. Yeah, no, so I ha- it was it was you brought it to my attention for the first time. I, I, I hadn't heard of it, but after obviously now it is quite a big project that's going on in Scotland and um, it's an in- interesting concept been around for quite a while now and it's something through my kind of ranger the rangering that I've done so far and it's it's not I've not necessarily learned about it and directly so to to have now yourself obviously be part of that and to to follow the projects and really interesting what sort of stuff then obviously you had the webinar yesterday with rewilding what is what is the big picture yeah the big picture is to get Scotland uh, a more diverse place because Growing up, I remember like looking at the mountains, thinking, "Wow, such a lovely landscape." But when you think about our past interaction with our native world and natural world, and to see the destruction that we caused in the sixties and all before that, where we just wiped out um, our supplies and our forests and different habitats uh, for different reasons, and we've just never really fully recovered from that. And mm. uh, as a young person, I've never seen it what it was like before, and many others haven't either. So it'd be good to restore that. So that's like rewilding in a sense, but for me, it's kind of like wilding because it's not rewilding for me. It's wilding. <laughs> Do you feel the same? No, it is certainly, and like more. I suppose we've created a lot more urban settings and kind of changed the way even rural communities um, function now, as you mentioned, from um, many years, kind of like the sixties and seventies, and. Um, bringing back, I find it a really interesting concept, bringing back animals that once were native in a sense and were here yeah. long before us um, that, that are no longer could really make big changes to some of the problems I think we're facing today, which you you obviously know and will learn about a huge amount. Um, I don't know, mm-hmm. was that touched upon at all yesterday with the, the Lynx project? Definitely, like when we're talking about lynxes and the conflicts that may arise between landowners and farmers and the general public and 
deer hunters and we put them into perspective and we broke them down piece by piece to see what the actual the core of the the problem would be and then uh, the david used some really good evidence because he did a phd project on it and saw so, so that the difference between like uh, case studies in Norway and Sweden and how the populations of sheep that are getting eaten by lynx completely differ and uh, the way the governments deal with that is completely different as well and it's all because uh, there are specific ways of farming like in Norway yeah. the sheep graze in woodlands and, and in Scotland the sheep graze in open pasture and lynx need um, an environment where they can get cover because they're ambush predators and mm. I found that really fascinating because uh, once you find that information out you're not longer scared for the sheep because there's a very little chance of that will occur it will occur but just in small numbers and um, before you might think oh lynx that's really dangerous for sheep no one's gonna want them to come here but when you really put it into perspective like wow okay I've just talked once you get the figures and the facts then you don't need to worry about things like that it's, it is difficult. I'm, I'm a big believer on having, certainly f having learned so much now about rangers and what we do in conservation and then the impacts our job has on other industries and how other industries affect us. Having that facts and figures from both sides, having both the arguments, um, which is obviously important for anything. And I think rewilding over the years, from my understanding, has always been up for a big debate of whether or not we reintroduce and bring back these animals because we're in such a changed times and a lot of our habitats aren't the same as what we had farming's different and yeah. I think we're slowly starting to see these changes being introduced for what we already have and I'm split on, I, I, I am I'm split on the idea where I would love the idea of rewilding these animals and helping again towards that kind of our environmental goals and everything else certainly in scotland i think it'd be really important for it but on the flip side i'm thinking we really need to fix what we've already got and i think there's mm -hmm. still already considerable problems with the wildlife and the habitats that we, we currently have yeah. and certainly the industries that are obviously that we'd have to not deal with but would be impacted by likes of rewilding a lot of these animals such as farmers as you discussed with sheep and yeah. it's kind of changing a lot of I suppose their stereotypes as well of what, how they envision it'll be a, an issue um, or what changes will occur to them in their, their jobs yeah. so it's again I'm it's, it's that never wanting to never wanting to assume or having met people certainly farmers and uh, foresters with even just beavers has obviously been the biggest I, yeah. I mean lynx I think some new lynx has been about I think for a rewilding idea for uh, less it was initially wolves yes uh, but now yeah they've changed that because now we realize that they're completely different species and things and they, it comes with a different set of requirements for a country to have and things but when you're talking about all that that's the, the beautiful thing I think about rewilding is that it's a social thing like everyone is involved you can't rangers do this and farmers do this and uh, grouse do this and like everything does it separate we all have to work together and it's a holistic approach yeah and i think the, the more time goes on everyone's starting to realize that mm -hmm. and the more communication it happens and working with landowners and working with these and like different industries will just give us more power for each other and like uh, we wouldn't need to feel so insecure about talking about a subject or so defensive um, about doing something. Like it's all about education and working together, which is a big part of our job and day life as well as big projects like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the communications part, isn't it? And I feel like nowadays it seems politically and based on organisations' objectives, certainly in the environmental conservation kind of sector, it's it's kind of more narrowed towards their own aims and we're very much concerned with our own problems and our own ideals whereas as soon as you start to see huge changes and huge things happening when all of a sudden bigger organizations or even the smaller ones start talking together and coming together and, and making these kind of ideas and as these rewilding things come together and all it takes yeah. is an, one individual landowner be that private or open to the public to to make that conscious decision to to bring back a beaver into their area or their land and yeah definitely. do a kind of a case study of that and yeah I mean beavers was the other one I was going to say where I think that's been on the 
the table or the argument and agenda and it's obviously they've been reintroduced for quite a while now in many places but um that's still very much a debated context and look how long we've kind of yeah. had them for so i don't know if, if you have yet to learn about that what we've already reintroduced well yeah that's and a lot of couple of things that the Scotland the big picture focuses on like um I follow loads of different people on Twitter and things and trying to get a rounded approach to it and I, I saw something like wait Helen posted something the other day um <laughs> it, there's so many Helens now but Helen from Scotland the big picture she's amazing uh she was she was she lives near Napdale where all the beavers were reintroduced and things. Right. And she found out that there was like 85, you know, like 85 beavers uh, legally shot, licensed by SNH, which is crazy considering it's a reintroduction project and it, they're just trying to get, get used to this area and get used to the habitats and spread and repopulate so that they're not currently needing to be keeping reintroducing things because the the power that beavers have in the landscape and the way they alter and change it and uh, control riverways and sources of water is amazing and they have such a good effect on habitats to make them more natural and more uh, efficient um, but trying to get on the side of landowners that are next to riverways where sometimes they don't have a good effect or can block areas and cause flooding but there's always a solution, but I don't think the solution is shooting. Like, what, what do you think on this year? Yeah, obviously, I, I think it's it's a difficult one. The what I can relate to that's the the whole badger debate and culling instant, which we've we obviously come on where badgers over the years, and it's the one I know more about uh, rather than beavers, where there's the argument and there was a the whole TV scandal and everything else, and it's still very much going on down south in England and Wales and there's now we've started to see this obviously the vaccines being introduced and everything else and that'll take a it'll take time so that's the, i think the real thing here is time um where bringing back and reintroducing these animals it's the effects that you see have to be weighted out you can't simply just go off an immediate year or two years and then decide to go back on it you, you have to kind of invest and i think that's a real issue when you're trying to convince people about the positives potentially outweighing the negatives. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that case is obviously a, one example where potentially an organization has, has maybe done the wrong thing to, to in that situation of culling and there could, could have potentially been another way around it. I mean, the other yeah. one, for example, is Pine Martins, eh, not Pine Martins, sorry, Mink, um, where you oh, see a lot of issues with, obviously, you've got an overpopulation of mink in an area where there's ground nesting birds and that water voles. Water voles, and it becomes a real issue Audrey, then yeah. when you've got this overpopulation of animals, how do you then control it? And it's, it's a very controversial subject, as I know, and as yeah, you know. And but I think the main point is, though, like, I think everyone needs to be positive about it. We can't yes. just tear down other people, like, um, okay, we've realised that there, there's a problem in the way that we're dealing with something right now. No one's going to point fingers and start the blame, yeah. but it is an issue that we all need to make aware of and work together to sort it and to fix it properly with everyone on board. Do you, what yeah, do you think? It's, it's, a, it's important that addressing and raising awareness of it rather than, I suppose, the big issue just now is cancel culture, where... Yeah. Um, it's a whole other subject that we won't talk about, but I suppose it's a bit like our own cancel culture within uh, conservation and uh, our industries, I suppose, in land-based. It's trying to think about the bigger picture, which is obviously what the, the project's about, um, after all, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Your other recent news, which I don't know, you may have mentioned on the, the, the last um, episode, was that um, you're obviously going on, you've finished uh, college and you're going to be starting a, a university. Um, yeah, well, it's still with SRUC, so it's just continuing on to the next year. So I, I did the HNC in Countryside Management and then the HND, and now I'm going to go on to my bachelor's degree in Wildlife and Conservation Management at SRUC. And that's, was it, you're doing it distant learning, aren't you? Um, no, no, I'm doing it full time. Full time, and how long, how long is that for? 
Um, it's for a year, and then I'm going to carry on and do the honors year. That's what so it was. No, That's sorry, so I've, I've got someone else in my head where I think they're doing a three-year distant learning, a similar course to yourself, where they're doing it at the Edinburgh campus, but over a period of time. But no, that should. Um, yeah, what what's your kind of thoughts on that? And are you well? You're looking forward to it. Well, yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to this year. Um, I'm looking over the modules and things that are, some of them are introduced this year because um, the degree got changed, which is exciting. So um, Yeah, I'm you were mentioning the, the title change. So how did the context change as well? I think what? it's slowly going to start adapting as like the year uh, goes on, like for the next year, it will be more um, adapted to the title. But I think um, this year we've got modules, we got to choose some electives and the one I chose was, was field study skills, which is going to be fun um, and really useful for my future career as well. So it'll get me out and do practical skills and surveying, that will be... Yeah, because you're, of course, it links in kind of with the, the, obviously the project that we've just spoke about. You are, I suppose, more interested in the, the ecology and the, the wildlife side of it, aren't you? Well, it... In my head, it constantly changes. I'm a very <laughs> community. Like, I love being sociable and uh, community engaged and things, and that is something I'm interested in. But right now, I'm quite interested in learning more and about the ecology side and um, surveying and all that. But I, th I don't know. I think it's evened out now. I think uh, <laughs> I really enjoy working with the public. <laughs> Depends what day you catch me, look, or else <laughs> my opinion will change. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's it's that, I always think like, uh, and we've talked about this before, I think there's very much like a, certainly in my experience at college, there was that divide, it was like you become an ecologist or you become a ranger, it's like there's no in-between, and uh, obviously rangering mm -hmm. kind of encompasses ecology and everything else, but I uh -oh. feel like when you're an ecologist, you're kind of stereotyped as that, I don't know, that one job, that one thing that you do, you go out, you do surveys, you get paid big money, and that's, that's about it, um, whereas, as you said, I think um, there's to people like yourself and uh, certainly the Scotland, the, the kind of the big picture is having younger people talking about their experiences and through um, what you're going to do at university, hopefully whatever role that takes and job that takes you into, you'll still have that and communication side of, yeah. of the job as well. And that's it's really exciting. Um, and you would you know as well, being a Lantra champion really helps as well because we're getting training on how to spot our own biases and work with the public and raise the awareness of our careers and in, in the industry as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, we were, we've got a workshop, I think post-COVID, well, we're still in the middle of it, sorry, I shouldn't say post, and um, we're starting to see, obviously, we're able to do more things. So as part of that, I suppose, some of the projects that we are a part of, the we're, we're able to do things again with them be that they've they've planned during the time that we haven't been doing anything with them these um online kind of courses and training for us so we've, we've got a lantra one coming up and um i know the the rural youth project as well still has a few things coming up there's uh, the climate we've got a climate change webinar coming up with the the rural yeah. youth project um, with scott link with scott link yep on i think which I'm very much looking forward to. I think I did like a little, they're doing a teaser video um, shortly for that. And the idea is, I think, well, the idea of this uh, webinar is uh, with Scotlink is to introduce, I suppose it'll be more of their urban-based audience. We are coming in through the Rural Youth Project and talking about the ideas of how climate change is obviously affecting our, our jobs and what our jobs kind of in a rural setting, how we are trying to make positive impacts and changes and how people can do that as well uh, from a younger audience point of view how their little changes and just raising that little bit more of awareness can can help uh, in the future and um, which i think is yeah a really great thing and it'll be our certainly it's my first webinar that i'll be taking part and have been kind of involved in the process and it's been yeah being part of obviously the rural youth project and even lantra it's been able to be behind the scenes and be part of that sort of thing to to share with the rest of the, the wider kind of audience and people that aren't involved in our industry and whatnot. Yeah. I'm looking forward Talking to about it. climate change, um, do you think your job as a ranger, as the years go on, will be more climate change focused? It's good. Well, it's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, it kind of, is it going to change? I think the role that we have is already changing. 
uh, inevitably, is it going to be more climate change oriented? I think that will all depend on the legislations or these policies and plans that come into place within the wider country. So be that, um, obviously there's talk down south now with like the green recovery plan and things like that and whether or not these government proposals then hinder the jobs of obviously our frontline staff, people like myself that are just on the ground. Um, I feel like our job with in regards to climate change is very much like our public engagement side of it um, is really important because we're, we're teaching people about the sites that they're using and interacting with them and appreciating and everything else. Whereas you've got the flip side of conservation. So the habitat management and a bit of your, your rebuilding in there where you're, you're managing these habitats and planting these species that are suit for the habitat and all that kind of builds up into the bigger picture of what is obviously climate change and how I suppose you can slowly slow that slowly slow that down yeah <laughs> uh, by um, by engaging with the public and by managing your sites correctly so do I think our job as a ranger will change I think it'll be up to what the the whatever policies are put in place by the government that then organizations have to follow I think because again, okay. it then comes down to your employer, who you're employed by. Our jobs are obviously so different over the country anyway of what are, I mean, you've got ranger services that are more ecology focused. You've got uh, ranger services that are more um, on the ground, out and about, public uh, engaged, just kind of like what I'm doing just now. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's all different. But um, I think we're still making little changes in regards to climate change on a basis with, with our job, yeah. Cool. So what's your ranger job like now, considering we're in this current situation? Like in this yeah, pandemic? well, I obviously I've, I'm now back working as a ranger. Um, the, over COVID, I <clears throat> had completed a season with Historic Farm of Scotland, and then we went into obviously COVID, so I had finished, and it gave me a, kind of a gap and a breather. And then, um, yeah, I've, so I've started back with them, and yeah, it's been just nice to be back in nature. Sounds like a silly thing, but... Um, just to kind of be working again and just I suppose knowing everything that's happened how things will change and even just like now being out and about having to now take into these extra precautions and how are we think it kind of filters into your last question there with uh, climate change how we will be engaging with the public will, will be a huge difference and the groups that we do bring in how are how it may obviously be impacted by covid we'll wait and see but um yeah it's, it's, it's been good fun yeah. um only three days back i got uh, the whole three months to finish first you can ask me after that um <laughs> but no yeah it'll be um certainly it'll be good uh with hess as an organization we, we have started back four seasonals this year so again it's a promising that's even good. despite yeah. everything that's happened uh, seasonals have still been put in place and i think it's it's what we need that's positive yes yeah. it's positive more than obviously all the cuts and everything else that's happened so yeah it's, it's been good yeah do you think more people are getting out in their local area and using natural spaces have you seen that being reflected in Holyrood yeah Holyrood even even here in West Lothian and and Livingston where I live um uh, my local green space I wrote an article uh, or a piece about this with the Real Youth Project where they wanted to hear about I suppose people's just opinions about how they can see their local places be that rural or myself kind of that semi-urban whatever um, and how people are about more and I think as we talked did we we've talked about it already in the podcast right how people's visions have changed of nature and their outdoor spaces how more people because of the restrictions of traveling have had to walk get outdoors local and just my own site yeah it's been it's been busy and then going back to Edinburgh I mean I want to say it's as if the park never changed or how I left it back in January there's still lots of people fortunately I see all they're all taking care they're all social distancing and I don't think it's changed people's it's definitely changed how the park's been used but in regards to how busy it is without obviously the the amount of tourists that we were having before it's yeah it's still busy and it's good because I think it's a been a not a breather and not in a bad way but time for certainly the locals of Edinburgh to appreciate and enjoy their Hollywood Park without the mass of people that are wanting to come in and see it because it is it's a a Arthur seat it's a renowned worldwide site in Edinburgh it's it's a really popular site so Mm -hmm. I think it's it's nice to see that when you're out and about to see the locals actually respecting and enjoying their yeah their site that's good
is uh, Ranger and Holyrood, one of the busiest sites in Scotland. What would you say is your key focus as a ranger? Like, what's the site main goal? Like, the site's main goal? For the ranger service or for me as an individual? Uh, for a ranger service. For the ranger service in Hollywood, I think it's all to do with visitor experience and kind of expectations. So coming to uh, such a renowned site, it's then having that kind of frontline staff to to be able to manage the site uh, to, I suppose, to the best of the best of what's there and um, just being there, um, engaging with presence, members of the public. Yeah. The, the presence is a, is a really important thing. Um, the, just the amount of events that are held. And as I said, I think um, we've mentioned it, it's 2 million visitors per year on average. We, again, it's hard to estimate these things because it's such an open site to the, to the urban setting. But um, yeah, it's, I would say it's a lot more visitor uh, facing than a lot of potentially other ra uh, ranger services and more, I suppose, rural places or places that doesn't get the same amount of, I suppose, tourists. Um, essentially mm -hmm. and I think you find that on a day-to-day -day basis where a lot of your patrolling is uh, public interactions which is a, is a great thing it's uh, the best parts about the job. Cool right my questions are quite random so the next one is are you any good at creating interpretation? Am I any good at creating interpretation? Tracy my previous mentor would probably say no uh, having <laughs> saw my attempts at interpretation. Um, I like to think, I don't think I'm a creative person, but I think when I have an idea of something that I want to do, so take for example the podcast logo, like all I had was just an initial image and then instantly I was able to make that. Like there was no, played about with that a bit, but as soon as I knew what I wanted it to look like, it was just there. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's a good thing and a bad thing when it comes to interpretation, because I feel like you have to be flexible with interp. Obviously criticism, constant changes, but I feel like if I created a bit of interp that was like really good, then I'd do it really good. Whereas if mm -hmm. it's going to be, if it's going to be bad, it's going to be probably bad and there's going to be probably a lot of changes. But I yeah, quite like... No, sorry, go on. <laughs> do you want to hear a funny story, literally? See, when I was doing my modern apprenticeship and I was just getting my feet dangling in the water of interpretation and I thought I'd create um, a piece of interpretation for the, funnily enough, interpretation board for the public to use when they just come into the park. And um, I sat for like half a day creating this piece where I was cutting out bits of uh, brown paper and drawing on it and I was trying to create a, uh, like a tree in the middle of this interpretation board right. and then um, create like words I can't really remember because it was like three years ago now <laughs> or something but um, like there was bits of words and information about all the woodland habitats and things and no joke it turned out so badly and like <laughs> In the moment, I was like, okay, it's good enough to put up, but I'm not going to be proud of it. So I put it up, and then literally um, someone asked me if a primary school made it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> my God, I'm never touching another piece of interpretation again. I'm not going to try it again. I'm leaving it to the professionals. See, but, I, um, I, enjoy, I enjoy interpretation, and actually, having done the college module, I enjoyed breaking it down and actually how to, like, I overthink things, but I, I quite enjoy analysing and doing that. So when I look at a piece of interpretation now, or just a piece of, like an interp board somewhere else, I'll break it down and I'll look at it and be like, that's what they were thinking there, that's what they were doing yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a bad, it's a trait any ranger has for all properties of their job when they go to another site. It's it's, it's just a nature by this point. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I enjoy interpretation more, but I think, as you said, I have to make something that I'm happy with for it to be okay yeah. to be put out however the problem with that Definitely. is in many cases with my when I was still an apprentice was I'd make something or do something and it's obviously not then actually a good piece of interpretation or it's not to the <laughs> standards appropriate to go out and yeah. then it's like yeah you need to change that or you need to do that really happy with that I think the one that comes to yeah. mind was actually the part of the college module was um, to create a piece of interpretation I think I was doing it on like rocks and minerals and I thought I'd created like a really solid piece and like I submitted it and there was so many changes and I was like oh gosh I don't think it was so much so many changes I think it was more I didn't make like there's that very fine line between what is interpretation and what's information and 
and uh-huh. yeah I just didn't have enough of both worlds and yeah I just remember physically having to make that change and even after the change I was quite happy with it but uh, yeah other people <laughs> potentially not but um, I, yeah I've not had as bad an experience as having anything be called primary school art <laughs> yeah, yeah. college yourself. has changed me college has changed me uh, after I did the interpretation module and then did it again in the second year um it has improved I can say that and <laughs> uh, by attending like sharing group practice events hosted by SNH and also the like S- scrav meetups and the rendezvous uh it's good to steal and by stealing I mean sharing yes. other people's other rangers interpretation and things so I, I got some inspiration from them and from my from my um, module it was better than a primary school tree, that's for sure. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years? Like, where do, do I see, see myself? Your... Yeah, where do I see myself in five years? Uh, play international in regards to having worked international, I'd like to think that. I suppose having now kind of been reaching out and speaking to more international rangers and people in other places, which I'm really interested about learning about not only the ranger services within obviously Scotland and the UK, but yeah, just the ranger services elsewhere. And I think that's a really important perspective to have, like we talked about in the last mm-hmm. episode. And in five years time, I mean, kind of that, I think five terms, quite a short term, like amount of time actually, considering how fast certainly this year I felt went and certainly how fast last year. So um, yeah, potentially one or two at least placements somewhere uh, around the world. And then um, work-wise, I mean, it's, it's, even as of October, there's uncertainties with uh, my seasonal contract finishing. And I take that as a good opportunity to branch out and do those things, certainly with project work with Lantra, project work with the Rural Youth Project, and just, um, yeah, keeping busy, uh, all about keeping busy and kind of moving forward. Um, I mean, obviously yourselves um, still studying and going through education and whatnot. Um, having kind of not done that, will I find myself in that in the future? It's, it's hard to hard to say. Just depends mm-hmm. if our jobs are still going to be here uh, in regards to, mm-hmm. I suppose, Scotland and Rangers. And hopefully they will. Uh, I don't think they're going to disappear. But um, yeah, we as we talked kind of pre-show how important some of these bigger plans and uh, government proposals and things are talk- being talked about at the moment, how the implications they'll have even in the current year uh, I'll, I'll have a huge impact on how many rangers we end up with in the future and obviously the jobs yeah. with that as well is there anything else you'd like to ask or do, do you want to get on to the listeners uh, questions let's get into listeners questions so our first set of questions are from our last podcast guests um jess and crystal um from their american ranger uh, experience which it was, it was really nice to talk to both of them um, and yeah their roles as american rangers which were quite different so Having kind of made that link now, um, it's been quite nice just to compare our jobs. I don't know if you, you'll you get that to even just other yeah. ranges across the country. Uh, but from an international perspective, it's, it's really nice. So um, we'll kind of just, yeah, go through some of their questions. So the first one they ask is, what is your favourite part about being a ranger? Or having Ooh. been a ranger? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, you, you can- Kind of enjoy all of it, isn't it? Like the holistic approach to rangering is, is you get a taste of a little bit of everything, community engagement and surveying and working in a team and doing things solo. And because you get a choice in like your job's so diverse that maybe that is, I'll say that it's an easy answer, diversity in the job. I think that's my favourite bit. <laughs> what about then during your apprenticeship? What was your favourite part of that that you uh, did, I suppose? Um, or was it just everything again? <laughs> yeah, I think it was just everything because it was everything was brand new to me. So I was doing like working with kids, and then I was working with adults doing conservation work, and I loved uh, every single bit just as much as uh, each other. But what what would you say? I think I think mine is the people perspective. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. I suppose like I suppose I'm less interested in the, which is quite. I'm less interested in more the ecology and wildlife side, mainly because, I don't know, I, I lack in that side of the job aspect. So I'm kind of shy away from more of the ID and the surveying and everything else. Like I enjoy it when I suppose I'm doing it, but if I had to pick out of whether or not doing public engagement, working with 
kids or groups and going out doing giggy walks and all that sort of stuff over say a butterfly survey I'd much rather have that interaction experience than the than the surveying which I know is it's you'll come across it and certainly I have where that there seems like everyone's got their own niche within a ranger team which is quite nice sometimes because you'll have certainly with Hess we've got different rangers with different roles so we do have a conservation ranger that's main role is focusing on the conservation in the park and then we've got an education ranger whose main focus is focusing on getting school kids in and organising all that side of it. So I quite enjoy that element of having a niche. But as you said, it's, it's a bit of just everything as well. So I wouldn't necessarily say, I, th I would say that's my favourite part. And then that kind of leads on to least favourite part as well. It's not that I don't enjoy it. I would say I just wouldn't do it over all the other stuff. I've had right. to, just from a, I suppose, letter picking and the more mundane tasks that are part of rangering I wouldn't say they're unenjoyable because you feel like I suppose you're doing your part but it's quite I suppose when you're out and about and you do see the amount of letters and trash and everything else that's left behind that is, 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 is a least favorite part of the job because you're having to um you're having to pick up and take away someone else's waste uh, I don't know do you yeah. find that as well yeah definitely um I think it's good for engagement and things and it's like practical tasks that can be done with other people which can be linked in with engagement and community uh, involvement but I, I think for me is when I started my apprenticeship and I was finding out what the job was like it's all the like the, the red lines that comes with well, mostly every job, isn't it? Like, because uh, you're working for a council, you have to do set things in certain ways, and yeah. there's uh, hoops, hoops to jump through. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm a type of person who just wants to, oh, that's what needs done. Let's go, just go do it. Yeah. But um, everything needs to be planned and all that. And that's something I'm just learning and uh, getting used to. But yeah, I think that's just something that just winds me up a little bit. Like, it just needs done. Let's just go and do it. <laughs> It's, it's all the, yeah, as you kind of said, it's all the extra things that are put in place, certainly for working for like different organisations, having myself experienced the local authority like yourself and then gone to then a bigger organisation. It's, it's those slight changes. So keeping daily records might be different place and um, having have to be done more frequent than others. And I suppose the amount of paperwork and documentation that has to be done to record the work that you're doing might be different. And I suppose, yeah, as you said, like some of the things that you might want to do can be limited with obviously who, who you work with because it's just it's it's what I suppose their vision is for the service as well you have to at the end of the day follow that and um, anything out with the service or I suppose it comes down to CPD doesn't it like how willing your employer is willing to invest in you and um, how your opportunity how you can pursue your opportunities while still um, being a ranger and I think that was one of the joys of being an apprentice like you got that opportunity because you weren't just a member of staff. You had the opportunity to branch out and, and uh, be part of like Lantra projects, be part of um, Skills Development Scotland and their apprenticeship scheme and all that. So yeah, I would say that's, as you said, it's, it's was those limitations that come with any job, those, those red lines. And um, mm -hmm. to pick one dream place to work, where would that be? It could be anywhere, not just, um, well, we could, do, oh, we could right. do Scotland and then let's do international. Okay, uh, that's a good question. Like, Scotland's full of amazing ranger services, and I'd be happy to work with any of them. I should know, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, the ones that are on my radar right now are all the um, Balmoral Ranger Service. It looks cool. <laughs> I think they've got a really gorgeous site. Um, and uh, I'd like to work on an island one day as well. So, like, yeah. up in the Highlands and Islands. Orkney mm. or something. I was, I was, I always now certainly think more landscape and habitat and place working rather than I suppose organisation or the types of services. So I feel like just now I'm missing the trees being in an urban setting. Like I feel like yeah. if I were to go back or have a dreams uh, habitat and place to work in, it would be large forests and just endless kind of hillsides and things like that. So yeah, mm. probably more north and highlands uh, of scotland rather than currently central belt but i mean even just the experience i had in the country park was a really pleasant one because you're you're in that kind of micro pocket of what many people that you bump into tourist wise say oh i didn't realize that there was all this nice kind of 
forests and all that in the central bit of Scotland, not just where all the kind of main highlands of Scotland are viewed, the pine trees and everything else. So, yeah. yeah. What about international then? If you could pick anywhere in the world, where would you go? Canada, 100%. I've gotten a fascination with Canada and their wildlife and things and everything's just bigger and better over there, isn't it? They've got bears, <laughs> wolves, they've got coyotes, they've got... Um, amazing wildlife and habitats and ecosystems so i know like canada is a massive country and i'd be happy to be placed anywhere within mm. it but um because i went to ontario to algonquin national park last yes. year um and i got a wee taste of that and i was like whoa it's like a dreamscape it's so <laughs> gorgeous i don't so probably think... go back there probably. yeah no i don't think we talked about that did we did we talk about camp canada last time when you were on might have been something we missed. Well, Camp Canada. Well, no, it's not Camp Canada, is it? Do you want to? Do you maybe talk about it? Ameri Camp in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, could be something for a future podcast. Cool. We'll but, save that uh, one. Let, yeah, let's hear yours. <laughs> um, I would currently. I'm kind of torn between. So I've been kind of looking at uh, Ranger services in Asia specifically, um, and less so Africa and kind of wildlife rangers, but more just. For me, anyway, unexplored territory, which is places like Korea uh, and Japan, and having kind of put a few emails out there and talked to a few people in regards to how um, your services kind of work uh, function there, um, it's it's a lot more difficult to get into. So I wouldn't say I'm, I would be disheartened of still trying to pursue that, but I suppose that's for me just now the the dream. It would it would be in one of those those um, Asian kind of culture country parks and um, national parks um, for I suppose more short term the dream is either kind of Europe slash America like I feel like I want to get a taste of both those worlds and even them alone are quite different and similar in many ways as we kind of talked about in the last episode of the podcast um, so yeah I think I think a lot of people when they think ranger even just like kids they don't know that rangers exist in Scotland but they know they exist in America it's that yogi bear and everything else so I think that's a really mm -hmm. cool aspect and I think it's a really it'd be a really nice opportunity um to experience what it's like to be a park ranger in America um, yeah definitely but yeah I think Japan would be really interesting it'd be really cool the, just the countryside and the culture alone is just fantastic and it's I want to go there and see all that so to, I suppose do what I like here, my job, and take that over there um, could be just phenomenal. But yeah, I don't know until I suppose it's that thing as well. These dream places within Scotland, it's quite hard because until you work there, you have no idea. Like you might think you're gonna like somewhere, and then as soon as you go there, you might yeah it might end up not being that dream job in many cases. So yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good one. Um, then I suppose a bit more of a factual question: How are Scottish parks funded? Um, do you want me to touch on that first and then you can maybe add to it? Uh, I suppose like yeah. we talked about it in the last podcast, which is why I thought I'd start, where we talked about, about how the, I suppose, the American parks are managed and funded. And it's based on like a state basis where money goes into kind of the recreational side and then all the parks within that are funded and have budgets. And I suppose here in Scotland, it's, you have your larger organisations that are government funded. So like of Hess. Um, Forestry Land Scotland and the National Parks Authority so they get money kind of pumped into them via the government which then helps to manage their sites so like the national parks the historic sites uh, and then the the large kind of plantations and forestry sites and then on more of a local basis we've kind of got our local authorities so those local authorities um, our councils they have their own budgets and that then funds the ranger team which essentially funds the country parks so a lot of the funds and money that are put into country parks, a lot of the improvements in the management side is left up to the rangers as, as both of we've experienced having worked in local authority parks. And I think that's where there's two different kinds of rangering there already where the management that's being taken place on a local level is a lot more guided and uh, tasked to the rangers, whereas on a more of a government scale, the organizations dictate how the places are managed and what you can and can't do so you get i suppose a bit of that more leeway when you're on a, a local level as um as everything really um i don't know if you have anything else. no you summed it up pretty perfectly there literally <laughs> <Well> done <laughs> 
saying that then, I suppose uh, kind of a final question from a former colleague of mine and someone that's no longer a Ranger, but um, someone I'm hoping to have on the podcast later on. Um, his question was, the Ranger set up in Scotland just now doesn't seem to be working. How would you improve it? Uh, <laughs> we, a bit political um, there, isn't it? <laughs> a bit political. I suppose if you, I, I know him personally, and it's, it means it in a, in a good sense rather than a, in a, a, in a negative way. Um, and I think, I mean, it's true. I mean, we've, it's not that it's not working. It's just currently, I suppose it was a bit like, um, I think we talked about it, I certainly brought it up previously, where the economy, people say, oh, the economy's broken. Um, but it was a really interesting quote from someone at a conference I was at. The economy isn't broken, it's just being made to do by the people that are in charge of it. So in regards to ranger services, it's not because um, the limitations that we have and it's not because necessarily the things that we want to do, we're not doing them. It's because financial pressure is being the main one. We've got, uh, and then the overarching local authorities and governments, what they dictate and what then gets filtered down into ranger services has a huge implication on our on our roles. So. In regards to improving that, it's, it's really difficult. We, we talked about earlier in my kind of vision of where I'll be in five years. It'll all depend on these really big plans and proposals that are being led by um, organisations such as, I suppose, you've got SCRA, SNH, um, and all the other kind of conservation-based ones. Uh, even, I think it's important to look at it on a, on a national basis as well. I mean, one way to improve it could a, a national framework of some sort um, be more beneficial rather than currently being quite divided between obviously Scotland and England? Could that save almost this, the less we've got here in Scotland if we had more to do or were affiliated with the English Rangers? I suppose that's a big topic up for debate and I know a lot of people have lots of different opinions on it, but um, it's, it's quite a good one to discuss. Um, what yeah, about yourself? Definitely. Yeah, that was it is interesting. I do find like um, in order for ranger services to be um, supported and upheld uh, by government, it needs to have public interest mm. and public support and everyone standing behind it and saying this is something that we want to put um, uh, money into and support financially uh, because it has such great effects and um, is so like it isn't so important to local communities as much as it is the grand schemer things. So I, I think it, to to start off, we need to get public support um, in place uh, nationally so that um, policies and uh, funding can be put into like stone, set in yeah. stone and things. You know. Yeah. Um, public perception and I suppose public profile. Um, it's certainly something that's kind of, I feel for us, dropped off the radar a little bit. But in recent years, we've started to raise more of a, an awareness of what Rangers are doing in Scotland. And certainly what we see now with, um, obviously, with COVID and everything that's happened and how we've kind of been hit with that second wave of job losses, it's um, it will be really important to encourage employers to, to hire back these Rangers or um, even just new um, trusts that are out there or private landowners to now that these government proposals are coming in and there's more of a sh pressure on how, what we're going to do in regards to environmental legislations and things that these people will start to say we perhaps need to employ a ranger to do a job within with, with their land and within their site. Uh, and I feel like a way just to help overall improve it, which will come along alongside a lot of these policies and plans, will be the entry routes into rangering to begin with. Because that's, I suppose, the real struggle just now that we've talked about previously of trying to make it easier for young people to come into the industry, make it easier for the rangers that are already in the industry to to have seasonal contracts and the abundance of that be more be more regular, frequent and secure. Mm -hmm. um, we're kind of, even myself, on that kind of, you don't know if you're going to have a job the next season sort of thing. And uh, mm -hmm. I suppose that then comes down to, inevitably, again, it's funding. So hopefully we'll we hopefully we'll see more certainly because of everything in light of everything that's happened a lot of these plans and proposals we'll we'll see the government change interests or certainly have the environmental one higher up the list um yeah definitely and i think that kind of wraps up um i think that wraps up everything we've we've obviously had a bit of q a with yourself asking me questions which is fab 
we've had a catch up on what you're up to and yeah we've answered some of our listeners questions so um is there anything else you'd like to add or say before we kind of finish up well i'd just like to say well done for completing your last and final 10th podcast of the first season Indeed. um yes. what's in store for next season so yeah so this isn't the the final one uh it was more, I suppose my vision was to complete 10 episodes within the time I had during uh, kind of lockdown until I started back at work, which I am now. And then kind of my future vision is I've got lots of people that I still want to interview. I've kind of planned my, what I'm calling second season, so my next 10 episodes. And I suppose I'm planning on doing it more, still frequently, so monthly, but um, whether or not it'll just vary on obviously work and whatever else, but um, kind of similar structure as well, having... Uh, perspective from rangers having perspective from um, people that I've obviously met people and projects that we've met um, certainly I'll be bringing on some of our yes, um, I think that's the next episode I've got in plan with yourself for us to interview two, um, two people from that so we'll see if we can put things like that in a place and yeah just um, continuing having likes of I'll be reaching out to more international guests and getting that perspective because it's something I'm learning a lot from just reaching out and talking to these people and it's not just a one and done situation where you do a podcast with them and you never speak to them again you're you're building those relationships and it's what's really nice um i've even just from a podcast perspective and quality and all that sort of stuff i'm i've invested in my first piece of podcasting equipment which will ena enable me to do podcasts in person so currently i suppose a lot of the issues or maybe audio cuts that you'll I'll have previously had and had to kind of work through on this podcast series will hopefully be gradually improved over time and become a bit more professional I suppose a bit like our um, Ask a Ranger podcast friends um, so yeah that's actually it and um, as I said um, I'll be certainly having you on more in the future if you're up for it because I think uh, we've certainly got a lot more to talk about and it's, it's really fun having you. Thanks so much it's great to be on thank you.